I'm Daisy. And I'm Terry. And this is the Monday Monday Mindset Mindset Podcast, Podcast. where we share things of interest to us and hopefully to you. So let's get started with episode number 137. And this week it's Terry's turn to share something with us. What have you got for us today, Terry? Well, Daisy. I actually listened to a new podcast that I'd never listened to before. And I actually got so excited that I think, oh my gosh, there are like a hundred and actually there are like 700 episodes that I now need to go back and listen to. But it's called Hidden Brain and it is hosted by a man named Shankar Vedantam. And he's an American journalist, writer, and science correspondent. But when you go back and learn a little bit more about his history, um, and I listened to a TED Talk by him after I listened to this podcast the first time, he got a degree in science, and I think it was in electrical engineering or something. So he was very into a certain type of systems kind of work. But now he's a journalist, and he focuses on the hidden brain, talking about human behavior. So of course... I'm interested in most of what he has to say. So this episode is called You But Better. (laughs) Mm. Well, we all want to be us but better. Yeah, I totally want to go in at some point and learn the strategies of naming podcast episodes because (laughs) so often I'm either drawn by the title and then don't understand how it fits the the actual episode, or I'm really drawn by the episode and can't understand what the title means. But he starts this episode in talking about the fact that one of the challenges for our brain is that we have to solve challenges. And novel challenges call for discoveries. They call for us to be creative and make up new information and find solutions and things. And that's great. But the reality is that most problems are not novel. We know what we should do. The problem is we struggle to do it. (laughs) And this has been a topic you and I talk about a lot interpersonally, just talking about our own lives. I talk about it a lot in my work, talking a lot about motivation, talking a lot about kind of the two parts of our brain, the amygdala and the other part of our brain. And um, so I thought, okay, well, I'm, I'm... interested to hear what comes out of this episode. So he really focused on on why is it that we struggle in following through with making changes that we know we need to make. So you can see I'm already smiling because you and I talk about this all the time. Yeah, I'd like the answer to that question. (laughs) (laughs) And if only anyone could give us an easy answer to that. So he said, basically, there are four challenges in front of all of us, and these aren't new ideas for any of us. They are distraction. And so he and the guest go through an example of distraction when she created a big mistake because she was distracted, impulsivity, forgetfulness, and laziness. These are four primary reasons why we often fail to follow through on the things that we know we should do. And talked about things like eating healthy, taking care of our health, exercising. Now, you and I have talked in the past few years many times about the fact that it's hard to know sometimes what eating healthy means and what exercising right for our body means. But in general, we all know know things that we should be doing and we know things that we should not be doing. Why do we struggle with it so much then? So we had a guest on this episode and her name is Katie Milkman. 
And she wrote a book that now I need to read. Mm -hmm. So anyone listening who keeps a list of books for me, going to add this to your list. This book is called How to Change, The Science of Getting from Where You Are to Where You Want to Be. So they started talking about, you know, this, this dilemma. Why is it that we struggle? And he brought up the example of an experiment that this person created where the people were all waiting for dinner and they put out a bowl of cashews and the people all ate the cashews. Knowing full well, eating these cashews was going to ruin their dinner. It was going to get in the way of them and fully enjoying their dinner, mm. but they couldn't stop. Mm. And they just kept eating the cashews. And so she joins in and kind of laughs and says, oh, I love that study. So, you know, here are two people that are, you know, into the same kind of stuff. And she said, this is something that in her line of study, they look at all the time. Now, interestingly, she's not a psychologist. She's not a behaviorist. She is actually an economist and she teaches. So she does a lot of research and she leads doctoral students who are doing research. So often throughout this episode, she would have a study to relate to the, the topic. But she said, really, this is what economists call present bias. And that is when we are faced with an immediate thing or a longer term thing, our present bias is that we overvalue or add extra weight to whatever will provide instant gratification. And we undervalue anything that will give us long-term results. And I know you and I have talked about this mm -hmm. even recently, but again, throughout the two years now doing this podcast, that our brain doesn't work really well with long-term consequences. It doesn't think about those. It thinks about the short term yeah, right now. Just the, what gimme, will gimme, I get? gimme, gimme, gimme the thing that's right in front of me now, please. Thank yes. You. <laughs> it's always helpful though for me to hear in the fact that she's an economist say this, like, oh, that is not me being weak or undisciplined. That is how our brain works. So much so that they already have a phrase for it and they see it in our behaviors. So present bias. Well, and presumably from an evolutionary perspective, it's hardwired in to take Absolutely. advantage of the opportunity that's there in front of you because it might not come along again for a long time. <laughs> so you're not going to walk past a, you know, a harvest opportunity from, you know, a really good cache of whatever it is, the, the food that's available there. You'd be pretty stupid to walk on past that when you might not come across a decent crop of food again like that for another two weeks or something. Or so it's, it's hardwired yeah. into our brain to take advantage of opportunity as it presents itself, or you might miss out. And I think food is a great example with this. Any of the examples I can think of with that, you know, like if you came upon a beehive that had been abandoned, you would eat a lot of honey right mm. away. You wouldn't think, gosh, in a couple of years, are my teeth going to be rotted out? Is my pancreas going to give out? One, you didn't know about any of those consequences. And two, you didn't even know if you were going to live two years. So you would take advantage of it right away. Yeah. That's a great point. And sure, you'd store some if you could, but hey, if you've got to carry it with you, might not. So you're going to eat as much as you possibly can in the moment. That's right. <laughs> 
I can't carry this beehive with me. Then the bears are going to eat me. (laughs) (laughs) So they said, you know, this is exactly why, and many of us get confused by this, but this is why we're so drawn to the shiny new gadget and why some of us really struggle to do something like going to work out. We overvalue the thing that's going to give us instant gratification and we undervalue anything that's going to be good for us in the long term. So they then talked about this idea that recognizing these challenges and knowing about them, having that insight really doesn't change anything. And I really liked her approach in talking about this because she really seemed to look at it as great. We have the insight now, but what are we going to do with it? How does this help us create a workaround or create a strategy? So they started talking about some ways to kind of increase people's likelihood to follow through with things. So some of us might call that motivation. So one of the thoughts that they talked about and and what some people believe is that if making doing the task could be more fun, more enjoyable, maybe I'd be more likely to follow through. And so people have researched this. And she shared an interesting study. Um, It took place in Stockholm. And what they were trying to do is to get people to, and some of you will notice a little bit of irony in this topic related to a previous episode that we shared, but they wanted to get people to take the stairs (laughs) instead of the escalator. And so what they did is they installed musical pads in the stairs. I think I've, yeah, I think I've seen videos of that. Yeah. And so what happened is when you were walking up the steps, you were creating sound, you were going up the scale and it made it more fun. 66% more of the people took the stairs than the escalator once this was installed. But continued research ultimately shows only a small minority of folks really choose the more fun way to pursue our goals, that this isn't necessarily one of the biggest motivators for us. So she talked about another way to think about a strategy, and she called it temptation bundling. I, of course, listen to all of these things with a little bit of a a lens now in thinking about the work I do with people around problematic eating behaviors and food addiction and things like that. So I was already cringing a little bit when I heard this, but I really do understand the value of this strategy. She talked about working out that she really, while she was in grad school, and she really wanted to go to the gym and work out. But, you know, she was tired and she was busy and she would get home and would be exhausted. And she wanted to escape into reading her favorite books whatever these were, not school books, but, you know, novels or whatever. And what she realized is I need to bundle these two things. The thing that I need to do, which is go work out, and the thing that I want to do, which is read these. And so what she said is, what if I only let myself enjoy this temptation while I'm doing the required task? And I remember this from like the 1980s, something I saw on TV where this family set up their TV, electricity was being powered by a bicycle. (laughs) So if if you didn't get on the bike and pedal, you couldn't watch the TV because there was no electricity for it. I thought that was brilliant, by the Mm. way. So she realized that suddenly she was going to the gym. She was working out because that was how she got to read these books. And everything got better. 
her grades were improving, her energy levels were improving because she was getting things done. She was exercising. She was taking good care of herself. She was enjoying her books. So temptation bundling. So how did that work? What was she listening to audiobooks while she was working out or she wouldn't allow herself to read the books until she'd worked out? I honestly don't remember that she said, but I recall when I used to go to the gym many, many years ago, way before Audible, I remember taking a book with me and like standing on the treadmill and they would actually have, you know, holders on the right. treadmills to, to mm -hmm. clip your book into and things. So I don't remember for sure, Daisy, but I, I was assuming she was actually physically holding the book, but definitely would work now with Audible. Yeah, perfect. So again, linking the temptation with the chore that needs to get done. Now, the one way I would encourage people not to use this if you are focused on your health is not to link a problematic food with, well, if I sit down and you know read this chapter for my homework, I get to eat this problematic food. Mm. I, I do not encourage that. But I like this concept of temptation bundling. The next strategy they talked about, and I don't remember if she had an actual name for this, but basically it was breaking goals down into smaller, you know, shorter pieces, bite-sized, more tangible, doable things. And she talked about a study where they were trying to get people to save money and they could either put away $5 a day or $35 a week or $150 a month. And the most people chose $5 a day because that seemed doable to say, I'm going to put aside $5. But in reality, all three of those amounts were the exact same. Mm. It was just what number you were hearing and focusing on. And people were more willing to put aside $5 than $150. So breaking down your goals into smaller numbers and things that seem more um, tangible to you. Next strategy they talked about was getting feedback on the process and the progress as you're doing it. And I know you and I have touched a lot on Tiny Habits by BJ Fogg and Atomic Habits by James Clear. And just this idea of celebrating, acknowledging, giving yourself some positive feedback. But they were talking about it even a little bit more in kind of finding out what is the effect of what I'm doing and what is it accumulating or what cause is it having? And so she shared another example of a study that was done where people were given feedback about how much water they were using in the shower immediately. Like you could see it while you were in the shower, how much water you were using. And when people were given this feedback, they greatly reduced the length mm. of their showers. Because it was like you were being held accountable. You were seeing, wow, you've already used 30 gallons, 40 gallons, 50, what I'm exaggerating that maybe, but by seeing it, you knew. And I had to laugh, Daisy, as I was listening to this because I was thinking about what you shared with me the other day about when you got your new tumble dryer. Well, that's exactly what I was thinking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that you knew this could be a high volume use of you know, a resource that I'm paying for, how much am I using? If I run this for 12 hours in a day, how much is that going to cost? And so by being able to see it, by being able, you know, if your dryer had given you a little readout that said, that just cost you $6. Now you're up at $7.25. Now you're up at eight. That, that often can change people's behaviors to see immediate feedback 
on the impact of what they're doing. Well, it's an interesting link back to to what we talked about last week about regrets and getting in early to change your behavior. Mm-hmm. And yes, as, as you were talking about that, I was thinking about the energy app that I have that will give me my daily usage. Annoyingly, I'd like it to be more immediate. Mm-hmm. I have to wait um, a good, you know, 24 hours before. I think it starts at midnight. So it goes midnight to midnight. But those figures are not available until probably you know, at least mid-morning the next Mm -hmm. day. So I have to sort of do something and then wait about 24 hours to see what's happened and then adjust. It would be great if I could see it in the moment. But yes, I played around with things like, you know, the temperature of the thermostat on an electric radiator that I've borrowed. And I saw, yes, having it at 18, 18 degrees and could see what that was, dropped it down to 16 degrees. Oh, it's a saving of two pounds a day. It's worth it. You know, so you can, mm-hmm. yeah, having that, having that feedback as mm-hmm. close to immediate as possible. Yes, I can absolutely see how that could work wonders. Yeah. And interestingly, you've kind of highlighted another piece of this. I think it also depends on finding the thing that is valued by the person using the feedback. Am I more motivated by the fact that if I take shorter showers, I'm wasting less water for the environment? Or am I more motivated by the money? Because if I'm more motivated by the money, I want it to be read back to me in Chiching, this costs mm. you 75 cents. Mm-hmm. Chiching, that costs you 95 cents versus gallons of water. Because if the money is the thing that I'm most driven by, I don't want to have to do the calculation in my head. Mm. That's not as direct feedback to me. Um, so I assume that there's some benefit in figuring out what is it that actually is motivating you and doing that. Yeah, absolutely. And it actually made me think of something a little closer to home with um, – a lot of people like to use an app that tells them about their fasting and okay, you're at hour 18 and people really get excited by apps that tell them, oh, this is you know what we think your body's doing at this point. Mm. Encourages them to keep going because they're getting more immediate feedback versus five days into a fast or 40 hours into a fast, bravo, you've done well. No, tell me along the way that I'm doing something good for me. They also then talked about this, again, kind of going back to the idea of motivation to change and the idea that there are times when we are more motivated to change. And you and I are you know, recording this and sharing this early in the new year, which we all know is a time when a lot of people want to be motivated to change and maybe for a short term are motivated to change. And so uh, the guest on this podcast, Katie, she actually, she or someone she knew did a study to look at when is it that people are more motivated to change and the new year is a big one. But also they talked about the idea of fresh starts. So holidays, beginning of the week, Monday, more Mm. likely people start things on Monday Mm. than on Friday or the beginning of the month or fresh starts like I just graduated, I started a new job, just started dating, something that is a fresh new beginning. 
And one of the reasons why they think this happens is that people kind of see an identity break. And they talked a little bit about this. And I also, as I think I mentioned, listened to a TED Talk by him. And he was talking about future self and present self. And and the two of them got into talking about this. But she said, you know, we tend to think of life a little bit in chapters. Like, oh yeah, those are my undergrad years. Or those are my years, you might say, oh yeah, that was when I was living in France. Like you see this as a, kind of a distinct chapter mm. in your life. And as we're thinking about habit changes and behavior changes that we are wanting to do, we might see a break in time, a, a start of a new month, start of a new year, new job, whatever, as a shift when we see ourselves as further away from the old self that did those other behaviors. And we see ourselves as more able to start new ones because that was our past self. That was a different chapter. So I thought that was kind of an interesting way to conceptualize. There are times when many of us are a little bit more motivated, a little bit easier to get things going. And part of it is because of this kind of identity break. It's a tricky one, isn't it? The whole fresh start thing, because that can also be problematic with with behavior change. It can often be a, yeah, well, I'll start on Monday, but I'm going to have a blowout for the weekend. And mm-hmm. But I can, I can definitely see how that, yeah, trying to harness that, the sort of fresh start mentality of it, mm-hmm. but trying not to sort of do the damage in the bit before the fresh start. Not do the last supper kind of mm. thing. <laughs> um, it's funny that you say that because another note that I had written down to go with this part was also that um, these breaks in time for us, these natural breaks, are also times when we tend to have some disruption so that we have time to reflect. Okay, I graduated from school and I'm starting my first job. It's like we feel this shift, so we reflect mm. and we do some thinking about that. Mm. And then the very next thing they said, and the next thing in my notes is fresh starts can also be harmful. So they're not always positive for us. And your example is a great one where we use them as a way to justify kind of blowing out the problematic behavior even worse. She talked about an example that for some people who follow Major League Baseball, this would be super easy (laughs) to relate to. But if you just know kind of the gist of it, I think it does make a lot of sense. She said, in the U.S., there are two baseball leagues. There's the American League and the National League. And if you play for one of these leagues, you could get traded at any time someone decided to study this and look at, well, is there a difference between what happens if you get traded between seasons or during the season? And then is there a difference between if you get traded within your same league or the other league and why would that matter? But here's why it would matter. So let's say you were doing really well. You're having a great season. Your stats are great. Or you're having a rough season. Your stats are really rocky. You're not doing so well. What they found is that, and again, this is where if you were a big fan of this, you would know these details, which I did not at all. If you're traded between leagues, if you go from this league to a team on this league, all of your stats for that season are wiped. Hmm. 
They don't count. Mm -mm. But if you are traded within your league, you keep all of your stats. Now you can see, depending on whether you were having a good season or a bad season, where you'd want to be traded. Oh, it could go either way. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. because if you're doing great, but you're traded across leagues, what they found is their performance diminished because they lost the record of those those good stats. They right. weren't building on those anymore. Yeah, yeah. They were starting at zero. Seems a bit unfair. <laughs> it does. But interesting, psychologically, what that does to people. Mm. Clearly, if I'm having a great season, there's no reason I shouldn't be able to carry that over. But when their stats were wiped, they diminished. And the opposite was true. So when they were maybe not doing so well, if they were traded cross-league, that helped improve their stats Mm. because the bad ones were wiped and you got a clean slate. So I thought this was just an interesting um, way of looking at what motivates us. In these examples, a clean slate either held me back or a clean slate pushed me forward. Yeah, and it's really kind of the same thing happening. Yeah, and there's definitely something in this time break thing. You think how often people do monthly challenges or something. Mm-hmm. You know, they're going to have sugar-free September or mm-hmm. meat-free March or, you know, whatever it is. It's quite often it's held in a given time frame. See, it's very, mm-hmm. you've got a very clear start date You've got that start a fresh date with a new challenge. I think it also means it doesn't feel as daunting Mm. because really I'm only committing to doing this for 30 days. I'm not committing to do this forever. Now, the goal is that for many people, this will carry over past the 30 days. But what you're really agreeing to in the beginning is I'm going to do this for 30 days. So it makes it more bite-sized for people. It makes it more doable, less daunting. She then talked about another example that I just thought was kind of funny, probably not one that I could imagine using all the time because it's about not being aware of something. So it's kind of hard to imagine using that strategy. But she said, sometimes a limitation can be turned into a superpower and basically the limitation of lack of knowledge. She used this example that she learned from one of my favorite authors, Carol Dweck, who wrote Growth Mindset or wrote the book Mindset, sorry. And she writes this about a grad student named George Dancy. And he was late for class one day. And when he got to class, he saw there were a couple of math problems on the board. And he was too late to ask what it was. And so he figured, oh, those are the homework assignments. So he jotted them down and took them home and worked on them. And he thought, wow, these are really tough. The homework was hard this week. And took them back in and gave them to the professor. And the professor said, what did you do? (laughs) So I just did the homework. And he said, but those were two problems that were unsolvable. (laughs) But he didn't know they were unsolvable. He just thought, well, these are a little hard this week. Let me, I'm going to keep working on them. So the fact that he didn't realize they were not solvable, he didn't have that bias and he just worked on Mm. them and he figured out a way of information. Yeah. So lacking information in that example helped him to create a solution. So did he solve the problems then? He did. He solved both of them. <laughs> wow. They were unsolvable problems. Yeah. <laughs> unsolvable no more. That's right. That's right. Wow. 
So they shifted a little more then into the, again, the idea of present me and future me. So me right here in the present and the me in the present doesn't worry about the long-term benefits or consequences. It just cares about having the positive, enjoyable, easy, whatever it is thing right now. And the future me doesn't get to enjoy the present decisions that kind of fuel enjoyment and things now. They rely on present me caring enough Mm. (laughs) to get to the long term. And they talked about the fact that nowadays, and I'm sure, you know, with podcasts and things, this is more evident, but most people recognize there's two different aspects to me. There's present me and there's future me, and there's a conflict between what they want and what their goals are. And so people are working on this more than we used to, but some people are still pretty naive and don't recognize this. So she then shared a study where students were allowed to have influence over their assignments for the semester. One group was told they could turn in their assignments whenever they wanted. It's totally up to them. There were no dates. The second group was assigned specific times that were evenly spaced out by the professor. And the third group got to assign specific dates when they would turn things in. I'm sure you could make a prediction. What group do you think did the best? I would say the middle one. Correct. (laughs) When the professor gave them the deadlines, that was the group that performed best. The second best were the people who did- The last one. Yes. Who did commit to a timeline, Mm. but it was their own set timeline, but they struggled a little bit more with that. And the ones who did the worst- were the ones who had no deadline, no timeline, no expectations. They struggled the most with following through and getting things turned in. I was going to say, yeah, because I know exactly what I'd end up doing (laughs) in that group. It'd all get left to the last minute. I actually cringed when I heard this because when I was in high school and someone, if anyone listening to this went to high school with me, they can correct me if I'm wrong, but I swear our chemistry teacher did not have deadlines for things. When it came to the end of the grading period, you just had to make sure everything was in. This was horrible for me. It was like the last three days and I'm digging through my locker. I'm digging through my folders, my notebooks, trying to find things because of course I didn't turn them in when we did them. Like, why would I turn in the lab report when we finished the lab that day? That would be stupid. (laughs) But then I couldn't find it. So... That was one of my hardest classes because there was no structure. He, I guess, just kind of believed in giving us autonomy, and I sunk with that. That did not work for me. So I could definitely relate to this strategy not being a good one for me. So we talked a little bit then about trying to future-proof ourselves, meaning make sure that what we're doing now serves our future self, And make sure that our future self follows along with what it's supposed to do as well. Yes, because of course your future self will be your present self at some point. Every day. Mm. (laughs) Every day. It it will be in that moment the present self who says, "Eh, I don't feel like doing that today. So how do you future-proof yourself? Yeah, thanks past self for prepping for my present self now. But I don't know if I can be bothered as my present self to prep for my future self. Screw the rest of you guys. I'm going to do this. So they talked one about the system of defaults, setting up defaults. So 
again, another study was cited here, but they did a study of people in a work environment and they set up a 401k or a retirement fund for them. When you got this job, you had to check a box to opt in to this savings. And then after a few years or so, they changed it. And then instead, you were automatically mm, enrolled. And you had to check the box to opt out. Well, what they found is people did better with saving for retirement when their option was to check to opt out. Mm. When they weren't automatically enrolled, they didn't bother to check the box and opt in. They also believe part of the motivation for this was that people might have a little bit of mindset, look, they've already enrolled me in this. This is probably what's good. And I don't want to research. Yeah, people tend to go for the status quo yeah, or the that's right. seemingly easiest option or the option where they don't have to think about it, make a decision. That's right. So one of the thoughts I had for, as they were talking about this, that if you run a company or you know, you're setting things up for your kids or other people, set in some defaults that will serve them because they're less likely to opt out to do the research or to take the extra step. She also talked about the idea that we could use this as individuals as well. Having some defaults like, and I was trying to think of this, and then as she started saying, like, oh, that's a good point. Like, what page do you see when you turn on your computer? Do you see Instagram first? <laughs> well, if social media is getting in your way, maybe you don't want to be going to Instagram first. Maybe you want it to be a news channel first, or you want it to be your budget paper that you look at every time you first turn on your computer. Yeah, interesting. I was just wondering how you could turn this default system into a more sort of personal, practical level. Yeah, interesting. And now that you mentioned that, I, I was thinking of this earlier, and it's not something I've had to do for quite a while, but I don't remember it was when I bought my first iPad or laptop or some device, or maybe it was when I started using a new browser. You had to choose what widgets you put on there. Oh, yes. And also, you could choose what came up as the home page. Yeah. Yeah, that was, that's going back a while, isn't it? I, I remember that option. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So again, you would want to put the things that are less distracting, mm. more useful or whatever up front. For me, it's like put the games on your phone on the 10th page yeah. in so that you have to scroll a long time to get to them. Otherwise, you'll go to them too quickly. So using defaults can be helpful for us. And even with money, people who set up money that's going into a savings account that's automatically mm. withdrawn before mm. you even see it do so much better with saving money. So again, setting yourself up this way, helping your kids get set up this way or loved ones. I guess you could also think along the lines of, it's just made me think of when you were saying about your homepage, your default and thinking of it as visibility. Mm -hmm. And when you were talking about you know, hiding the games apps away on a, a screen that you don't get to see, well, it's also what you get to see in front of you in your you know what's out on the kitchen worktop versus mm -hmm. putting it in a cupboard i've done just the simple step of putting things that i would easily reach to snack on 
it's putting them out of my sight line, that whole out of sight, out of mind. Now, I know it doesn't completely work. Things call to us in the deepest, darkest recesses of whatever cupboard you hide it, hide them away in. But I've been surprised at how much I, how often I do actually forget about things mm-hmm. just by putting them at the back of a cupboard. Absolutely. Just by taking them out of out of my sight line, out of sight, out of mind. Might not work every time, but it can work quite often. Absolutely. You're not reinforcing it as many times in the day. You're not seeing it as many times. James Clear actually talks about that in creating habits, that if it's a habit you want to, Mm. something you want to do more often, you need to remove barriers. So if you want to drink water all day, you need to set water out so you can see it. But if you want to not drink diet soda all day, you need to tuck it into the far reaches of the refrigerator so you don't see it every time you open the refrigerator. Mm. So if it's something you want to do less, you have to create barriers. If it's something you want to do more, you have to remove barriers. They also talked about a concept of kind of save more tomorrow. So you'll see a lot of their examples. Again, she's an economist. Um, A lot of their examples were about saving money, but the idea that... um, So if you're looking at saving money, set it up so down the road, I'm going to save more. I don't have to feel the pain of it right now. My future self will feel that. I don't care. But you can set it up like when I get that promotion, my percentage is going to increase to this. So I won't even notice and my future self won't even, you know, uh, resist it. You can also set up defaults that push future you. So for example, if future you fails to do something or fails to reach a certain goal, you can charge it a penalty. You can have a penalty (laughs) set up. And what they found when this happened is that we are more likely to succeed when the cost of not doing so is too costly to us. For many people, having money on the line increases the likelihood of following through with what they're supposed to do. And they didn't uh, study with... um, tobacco use or other substance use where they could actually test hair fibers or you know blood or something and they could see that if people were going to have to pay because they had used that month they were much more likely to come back clean when they did the test and it reminded me of a strategy that I had to use before and I had to laugh that they talked about this and I thought how did my office administrator know that years ago But I was struggling to get some paperwork done. And she said, Terry, you have to get this paperwork done. She said, tell you what, you have, let's just say, you have until December 1st. And if this paperwork isn't done, I want you to tell me an organization that you dislike. And I told her one. And she says, okay, if this paperwork is not done on December 1st, you have to write a check for $100 and I'm going to send it to this organization. (laughs) So it was, not only was I going to lose $100, but I was going to send my $100 to this organization that I despise or don't support their mission. Mm. So that put a lot on the line. So for some of us, it's not only positive payoffs, but also sometimes for some of us, having to pay something can be a reason to follow through. The host of the podcast then talked about Victor Hugo who is an author that some people are familiar with. And he was struggling with getting um, his book written. And he did something kind of interesting along this um, default thing is that 
he locked up his clothes and he couldn't get them out until the book was done. Well, if he didn't have clothes, he couldn't go out in public. He couldn't go see people. He couldn't go do things. So it pushed him. He's got to get the book done. You're going to get your clothes back. So kind of a commitment device is what they were talking about this. And that planning in advance can um, help with this present bias. I'm not going to default to problematic behaviors in the present in my future self, just like you were saying, Daisy. And then to just kind of wrap up, one of the things they said that they thought was so important is that being non-judgmental about ourselves helps us become who we want to be. And rather than looking at all these things as bad habits, ways that we're lazy and unfocused and things, but to see it, this is how humans work. I'm just human and this is how I work. How can I engineer it to help myself work around these realities so that these things don't hold me back? So it's, again, looking at it from a non-judgmental way, which really brought me back to thinking about your episode last week about the regrets. I don't need to chastise myself for being disorganized or for having a hard time following through. I need to kind of hack that system in me and figure out ways to work around it. So look for the obstacles and how to overcome them rather than looking for a one-size-fits-all solution. And once you realize the limitations or obstacles, then you're much more likely to be able to find a way to make that part of you work more efficiently or work more to your benefit. And I think as so often is the case and always is the case is really knowing yourself well and knowing what's going to work for you. And with all of these things like you brought up at the end of last week's episode about adapting them, you know, this emailing, this filling out this template of regrets to um, empower yourself with, with things you can, things you can change so you have fewer of these regrets, you know, the upcoming weeks that it's so important always to know how you work and adapt these things to suit you. I just have to tell you about something, something that I've mentioned before and probably more on Mindset Matters episodes we've recorded for Keto Woman maybe. But I keep meaning to tell you, you know what I think about this time of year when it comes to the food item that I like most about Christmas are mince pies. And there's always this quandary, you know, am I going to have mince pies? And, and once I start, it's difficult to stop. Well, the strategy that I use, because you know what I'm like, and you know, I don't like being told I can't do something. I use the whole delay, don't deny. So it was always, or rather it was never, you can't have but it was always, okay, so we're not going to have mince pies before December because they start appearing in the shops, goodness knows when, way before December. At least they are seasonal. They're not available all year round yet. I'm sure they will be at some point. But no matter when you saw them, you're not going to have a mince pie until December. And then it was, okay, well, you know, it's your birthday on the 8th. You're not going to have a mince pie before your birthday. It was okay. Well, you know, we're getting towards Christmas now. Not going to have a mince pie until Christmas week, the week of Christmas. Because cause another part of my brain knows that they are seasonal and things run out. So there is also a time when mince pies will 
not be available anymore. So the choice will be taken away. So I managed to get all the way to Christmas Day. And I thought, you know what? I've got to Christmas Day. It's not long now until they're not going to be available. The decision's going to be taken away from me. And I do know the consequences of eating that much wheat products are the problem really for me uh, where things can go really badly sideways with my mental health. And the other thing that's always the case is that the first one or two always taste too sweet anyway, but then the sort of the addiction grabs hold. So the first one or two aren't even that enjoyable, but then I sort of get into them and then I can't stop eating them. So I thought, you know what? No, it's not worth it. So I delayed, I delayed, I delayed, but I never said no, because <laughs> I know I don't like being told no. So I just kept delaying it, just kept delaying it, just kept delaying it. Thought, you know what? Let's just not have any. That's amazing. Yeah, not had a single mince pie. <laughs> now future you is probably going to come back hunting for present you in December 14th and throw punch them or something because <laughs> they're not going to be able to get any. That's awesome, Daisy. So I just thought, you know, that's a great example of just knowing what what you're like. Mm -hmm. <laughs> know thyself and apply rules accordingly. That's awesome. And Daisy, I think going back to the way you introduced that topic, it is about really getting to know yourself, what works for you, what doesn't work for you. Any of these strategies that anyone you and I talk about or anyone proposes on any of the podcasts that we share or newsletters, they may work great for people or they may not, but they might even spark another approach that does work better based on your own personality. So I encourage people to try out things that we talk about. And if it doesn't really work for you, that's okay. Is there something from it that you can benefit from? Is there something you can try? Or maybe trying something that doesn't work helps you to figure out what would work. Mm, absolutely. Well, lots to think about. <laughs> I hope you have a very wonderful week. You too, Daisy. Take good care, everybody. Bye.